let's do it. We are now recording. I'm here with the lovely astrologer extraordinaire, Rick Levine. Um, he was messing with me earlier, though, when I was double checking on the pronunciation of his name. And he said, no, it's it's Reich. <laughs> Welcome. I can't help. I can't help myself. You've got you've got like a little jokester aspect to you that that must come through. It's Gemini rising. I was wondering if there was some Gemini in there. What's your What's your sun and moon? Um, well, when people ask me my sign, I often tell them I'm an Aquarius. Okay. But I have no planets in Aquarius. But I have uh, a strong. I've. I've um, my sun is in Aries, but my sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and North Node are all in Aries. So I have a lot of Aries energy. Mm-hmm. But they're all in the 11th house, and the 11th house is related to Aquarius. Yes. And I have I have an Aquarius midheaven, and I have Uranus, the planet, modern planet related to Aquarius, rising. And so I kind of am an honorary Aquarian, but I am an Aries with a Cancer moon. Okay. And the, cancer moon, and the Cancer moon is what makes me not obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> Some might argue that cancer moons are obnoxious in their own way, though. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, some some might, but with all of that, with all of that Aries energy, I, I can um, forget that uh, other people have uh, points of view and lives and emotions, and and the Cancer Moon does make me sensitive to to that. Yeah. So it kind of keeps me human. My my Moon is in Aries, so I get what you're saying with that. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, well, there you go. So we we then have in our charts one of the things that Carl Jung, the, uh, uh, Dr. Jung, the mm-hmm. psychologist, said that was, um, in his view, the um, most significant thing in um, in relationships. Actually, he was saying in marriage. Not that I'm suggesting that that's an alternative for us. I never, I never, I never ask any, I never ask anyone to marry me on a first date. Uh, I I sometimes wait second date. Anyhow, but what Jung noticed is that when the woman's moon was in the same sign as the man's sun, Mm -hmm. that that was often a, a uh, good start to the fabric of the relationship. Because the moon is how we respond and the sun is how we are. And when you have two people with that sun moon connection, um, there's a very basic kind of connection. Of course, it doesn't say anything about the rest of the charts. Right. Well, you know that I could I could uh, verify that because my son is in Scorpio and my boyfriend's moon is in Scorpio. So I I, yeah. I think yeah. it works. I think it works. Not. I don't want that yeah. to weigh on your proposal, though. Please feel free. I'm <laughs> I'm open to my <laughs> no. options. <laughs> no. And now now that I know you have a boyfriend, I won't ask. Not. Because that part bothers me, but the cancer moon hates being rejected. So, I, well, and you don't want to mess with uh, <laughs> you don't want to mess with someone's woman if they have a Scorpio moon either. <laughs> that that's true. That's true. I'm so curious to know now that we've had plenty of lovely astrology banter, which is a great icebreaker, yes. by the way. <laughs> I'm yeah. curious how you got into astrology. Hmm. Well, you know, a lot of people I know get into astrology because they have a life crisis and they see an astrologer, they have their chart done and they go, holy smokes, this is like amazing and I have to know more about this. That's 
that's one of the most common scenarios yeah. for you know for, for why people get into astrology. Mine is very different. Um, I get into astro- I got into astrology um, because a combination of my curious Gemini rising and my desire to always be pushing boundaries. That's the Aquarius uh, Uranus Aquarius part of my chart. Right. And as a kid. Um, I was always, uh, my strongest subject was always math, um, but I was a math and an, a voracious reader, and I began writing and writing poetry early in my life. Um, I, I, I grew up with a lot of music. I, as a kid, as a kid, I, I uh, took piano lessons. I played violin through high school orchestra. I played trombone and baritone horn through high school marching band. <clears throat> and so when you combine math and music and uh, a bit of interest in literature and poetry and psychology, out comes an astrologer. You get an astrologer. That's I mean, the recipe. I, 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 I went to college to be um, a um, – my, my, my thought was that I was going to be a high school geometry teacher because I love geometry. Mm-hmm. And in a way, uh, 50 years later – I'm a geometry teacher because yeah. astrology is basically sacred geometry manifest through the planets. Yes. And, and I have to admit, I mean, I, I went to college as a, as you know, a math major and within two weeks of being in college, I changed to psychology. I have a BA in psychology and I've never really stopped reading um, and, and learning about psychology and psychology techniques and about the human mind um, and, uh, and my science, that science interest in, in physics and quantum physics is really part of my astrology work. Uh, I'm known within the astrology community um, for what some people call my work quantum astrology because I spend a lot of my time teaching people how uh, astrology now with quantum physics is actually very much in agreement with the basic understanding of the universe. Whereas if you go back a few hundred years, back to the time of um, Isaac Newton's work, mm-hmm. um, astrology was kind of, it didn't fit in. And so we saw astrology get booted out of the universities and out of academia. And now we're seeing a very, very widespread renaissance of astrology kind of being reintegrated, uh, much to the uh, um, annoyance of many scientists. Right. But it certainly, it certainly is in the process. It's certainly happening in a major, major way. So I got into astrology because I was, I was curious and I wanted to know what made people tick and, 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 and what was the cause of it all and how the universe all fit together. And I often tell people that my primary question in digging into astrology deeper was this question. And the question is, how does meta become physical? How does meta become physical? Because meta is a Greek word, part of the word metaphysical, which really means alongside or beyond or next to or outside of. And so we think of the metaphysical as that which is spiritual, but it's how does the invisible, how does the metaphysical How does that which doesn't exist, how does that become something that does exist? I mean, we start as a single cell and, 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 and yet we look at our lives and we look at the complexity 
of what we own and who we know and how we live and 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 the, just the 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 patterns we weave and how complex it is. How does that manifest from nothingness? Yeah. And so astrology to me is a um, is is basically a way of getting to that place where something happens where there was nothing before. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, also there's like a, there's like a, I don't know. I think I always think of natal charts almost too, as like a little bit of a blueprint in terms of like well, your, well, exactly. It's the blueprint that we are building our lives according to. And of course we have a, as a builder, we have a large leeway of potential and possibilities, but the blueprint is there. That's the structure. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember the first you're the first time you were exposed to astrology that felt significant to you. Ooh. Um, well, I, I remember being in who in, in junior high school and high school, I read like, uh, I've always been, I still am a, a voracious reader. Right. And, um, and I came across and I loved biographies and I came across a book called my world in astrology by Sidney Omar. And, um, and to me at that point in time, I was interested in anything on the edge of science or outside of science, whether it was astrology or numerology or phrenology or UFOs or ghosts or life after death, or, uh, I mean, just, you know, whatever, whatever it was that was not understood or on the edge I was interested in. Yes. And I read, I, I, and I read Sidney Omar, who was, by the way, the daily horoscope writer at the LA times for, I don't know, decades, 40 yes. years or something like that. And I just became enamored. And when I went to college, um, <clears throat> I met someone in the first few weeks of being there who was totally into astrology. And at that time, the book that had come out, <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, was Linda Goodman's Sun Signs. Yeah. And that, that book, um, I read that book and it was an, oh my God, this is really, this is really interesting. So my friend and I began digging into astrology uh, then my freshman and sophomore year of college. But it really was, and this is the seminal event, that my senior year of college, I had... <clears throat> Sorry, I had pretty much plowed through my plowed through um, my way plowed my way through most of the writings of uh, of Jung, actually Freud, Jung, all the you know depth psychologists from the beginning of the twentieth century, mm -hmm. and um, and I was totally enamored and fascinated with Jung because of his interest in astrology and his openness to mythology and archetype. And it was just totally fascinating um, to me. Okay. And, and I have to say, this was college for me in the late 60s, early 70s. So there might have been some psychedelic drugs involved. <laughs> I think that still happens in modern colleges, too. <laughs> um, yeah, but this was, this was, like, this was like the uh, uh, Ram Dass, Tim Leary beginning. Yes, I mean, this was yeah. it. Any, anyhow, in my senior year, someone, and I don't know who, I have no idea, but I have the distinct memory of someone coming over to my house and saying, hey, I got this book, and I think this, this is a gift, and I really think that you'll like it. And as I'm talking, I'm holding this book in my hand 
which is signed on the inside cover as I put my name on the inside covers of my, my books. And this is signed in my, you know, 20 year old handwriting. And the name of the book is The Astrology of Personality uh, by a man named Dane Rudyar. And underneath, in small letters, the subtitle is A Reinterpretation of Astrological concept, Concepts and Ideals in Terms of Contemporary Psychology and Philosophy. Oh, it's so a right and, up your alley. And that meant mostly Jung. I mean, there was more than that. And I read this book, and as I'm reading it, I'm just flabbergasted. I, I mean, there's a part of me that's going, uh-oh. Because it was the first time that I realized that astrology, which I didn't have any doubt worked, but it was the first time that I began to realize that astrology was not just a cool thing that worked a parlor game and something that just for whatever reason seemed to be, you know, seemed to be right on. But in fact, it was at the basis of modern thought. It was at the basis of most of our intellectual development, when you go back and you look at the great scientists, there was no distinction between, you know, what we call astronomy and astrology oh, or totally. chemistry and alchemy. And so it was that book that basically pushed me over the edge and made me realize that this really could be a serious um, life endeavor. And at that point in time, I decided not to go to graduate school. I was actually um, uh, thinking about planning um, on going to, because uh, I was a good student always, I was planning on going to the uh, Jungian Institute and getting a PhD in psychology and becoming a Jungian therapist. Right. And I realized that that wouldn't cut it either, that I wanted to be an astrologer. And I had no idea really what an astro being an astrologer meant, but that's what I wanted to be. What did your parents think about that if when you were going to go for more schooling and you decided I'm going to be an astrologer? Was there any? Oh, uh, I think I, I think they were just glad that I wasn't in jail. I don't know. <laughs> um, you, you you know, um, yeah. My my relationship with my parents was 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 very strange. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I had uh, <clears throat> I had a very typical. Um, uh, set of Jewish parents, and although they did not necessarily um, uh, want me to become a doctor or a lawyer, um, I think the academic lean was very important, and I think they always looked at my astrology as something like, a, huh, well, that's interesting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, um, but, you know, for many years out of, out of college, I did two Gemini Rising. Um, I had a real job, and I studied and or learned and or did astrology kind of as a side-by-side -side for, for, for many, many years. Yeah, I think that's how a lot of readers get their start, is, the, is readings is the side hustle until you build up enough work for yourself to have it be the full-time gig. How did you find yeah, I, how did yeah, you find so How did you yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to <laughs> step over. Oh here. no, 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 you're fine. Well, in, in, in those days, um, finding clients was easy. You just took an ad out in the in the yellow pages. And of course today people don't even know what yellow pages are. Right. Are they? Yeah. Um and, and, and I mean there was no internet. We did charge by hand. There were no you know, there were no computers. Um and um it was just a very different world. Um, and it really wasn't until, hmm, 
Um, it really wasn't until the early 90s, um, which for me would have meant that I was, uh, yeah, that's like um, uh, in my late 40s and early 50s was basically when I uh, began to set aside um, all the other things in my life that made a lot more money than astrology. Right. Uh, people say, well, people just do astrology for the money. Well, the fact of the matter is that I'm doing fine right now, mm-hmm. but I did not quit my corporate and real, you know, consulting jobs and, and advertising and marketing and organizational work become an astrologer for the money. That's for damn sure. Right, right. Yeah, totally. Uh, I'm just thinking about how the market now, if you want to be an astrologer, if you want to be a reader, it is, it is competitive because with the internet, things have become so overly saturated. So I guess in some ways having that ability to like take out an ad, do you feel like things were, would be easier back then or easier now? Oh, I think they're much easier now because you have a place to get your word out Mm -hmm. there I mean, no astrologer that I knew practicing in the 70s or 80s ever had a client from anywhere other than within a three-mile radius of where they lived. Right. Yeah, I guess. And so, and, and, and so I mean, I, um, I, I taught a course online um, uh, called Astrology Fundamentals through the Astrology Hub, um, and I'm just uh, actually just starting a level two course um, in a couple of weeks in uh, mid-February. Uh, you know, which is basically astrology fundamentals level two. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I I had a couple of thousand students in that first course. Oh my gosh. If if I were teaching that, you know, 30 or 50 years ago, 30, even 30 years ago, I I would have had 12 students or 15 or maybe 30 if I lived in a big city. Right. Right. You used to, you said you told me that you used to live in LA um, when we were talking before we started recording. And I'm curious, yes. when you were here, did you ever have a run-in with Carol Ryder? Um, well, actually, a run-in might be overstated because when I knew him, he was in a wheelchair and uh, he didn't run into anyone. Yeah. Um, but, um, but in the last few years of my L.A. days, uh, I was in, the LA, in L.A. through the 80s. Um, uh, Carol would have, um, at his home in the Hollywood Hills, he would have a monthly, I don't remember it was like the first Thursday of the month or something like that. He would have a monthly open house gathering where he would have, um, two or three astrologers teaching topics and then, and, and then there would be a um, half hour social by the swimming pool. And it was an old Greco Roman statuesque, you know, pool, one of these grand old Hollywood mansions. I've been there. That's where I learned. They still, they still teach from there. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, but then he would come down and in about 10 or 12 minutes, he would give his um, forecast for, for the month ahead. And so if you, so if you've been going there, I'm sure that um, that many of the people who were actually going there when I were there are still there and just a bit older. So I know a whole bunch of those people. Yeah. Yeah. Cecil and um, Dan Corey was a big mentor of mine when I was getting started. That's where I started taking my classes. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And then the other the other end at the other end of the spectrum, I was also in, in my LA days very involved with a thing called Aquarius Workshops, which was a bit more modern and acad- not so much academic, but uh, a bit more modern oriented. And, um, and I would go once a month. This is even after I moved up to Seattle, I had, um, client work. I spent about a week a month for the first two years I was in Seattle. Um, I was doing consulting work and ongoing work for, um, what was then Mrs. Gooch's natural foods ranch markets, which became part of whole foods when they sold the whole foods back in maybe 92 or something like that. Anyhow, um, so so Marion March was the um, one of the uh, founders of Aquarius Workshops, and she would have what she called a master class at her home up um, up on the top of the ridge between Encino and and L.A. And once a month, about six or you know, maybe eight or ten astrologers um, would meet at her house for a one hour class and then lunch. And I did that for a number of years also. It was a, a fun thing to do. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask because, you know, technology has made it so much easier to run a chart and, you know, <laughs> see see what's going on with someone's natal chart or, you know, their transits and things like that. I'm cur- Absolutely. I'm curious, you know, how much time did it used to take when you were doing work for people before we had the tools that we have now? Well, I, I was, I, I was pretty good. I still am. I'm a, I'm a science math geek behind my, you know, cosmic cowboy costume that I wear. <laughs> it's a good costume. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's like a rising sign. It's a, it's a costume that you can't peel off. Yeah. It's like, you know, <laughs> you know, um, but, uh, so I was good at the math. But, and, and I could draw a chart from beginning to end um, in, in probably maybe an hour, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, but that, but now at the push of a button, um, when I do my prep work for clients that I, I see, um, I spend about five minutes preparing yeah. and about, and, and that involves me basically running charts and transits and progressions and analysis. And I end up with, um, you know, maybe 20 pieces of paper printed out. Um, and I have all the information I could possibly want in front of me. I can't even use it all in a session, but I have it. If I'm going to go there, I, I know exactly where I can get what information I need. And that's extraordinary because even a simple thing, like doing an aspect table, you know, what, at what aspects, um, how are all the planets in this person's chart connected with all the other planets that in itself, if you were going to do a complete aspect grid, you know, could take 15, 20 minutes, a half an hour or more. And that would not give you what has become for me. Sometimes the most important aspects in someone's chart are not necessarily the ones that stand out like the trines and squares and oppositions and conjunctions, mm-hmm. but they're the ones that kind of slip beneath the, 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 uh, Zodiac. Um, and those are things like the half squares, 
45 degree angles or mm-hmm. the square and a half, the sesquisquares, yeah. uh, 135 degrees or the, or the sacred uh, five pointed star, the, the star that um, is associated with, with Venus and the five pointed star creates aspects called quintiles, which are one fifth of the circle or 72 degrees and or septiles, which are like 51.27 degrees then you wouldn't even use any of these aspects because they were too complicated to find. Right. Now, with a push of a button, I have all of this in front of me. And so the, the um, analysis and the data that I have gives me a whole lot more room to move when I'm actually interpreting the chart itself. Yeah. What program do you prefer to use when you're running charts like that? Um, well, let me say that whatever program you might have, is adequate. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that if you look at the most widely used programs, they all calculate the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and people develop nuanced um, affections or distaste for this product versus that product. Um, I particularly, excuse me, I particularly uh, use Solar Fire. Yeah, that's what I learned on too. And, um, and I've been using it since pre-release days. Uh, you know, I do beta testing on that, and uh, a lot of the things that I have wanted have been written into that program because I have a good relationship with them. Oh, nice. Um, but, but my friend David Cochran, who runs Kepler Software, um, uh, which their lead product is Sirius, um, like the star, mm-hmm. um, they're amazing programs. And, um, and I just happened to have fixed on this program. I mean, there are other really good programs. Henry Seltzer's time passengers passages is a little bit um, simpler. And for many people, it's more accessible. Right. Another great program. Uh, for me, um, the thing that I like about solar fire is that it's highly customizable yes. and it allows me to basically, um, use it for both uh, present- presentation work and for research and for uh, actual client work. But every program has different nuances. Mm-hmm. When you are, because you do have a YouTube channel where you do, you know, monthly forecasts and things like that. And I know that we just had like 2020 was like such a crazy year, even with someone who is as you know, I know that we had um, that Saturn and Pluto conjunction at the beginning of 2020 that, you know, a lot of people were worried about. Um, but even with it, you know, as much as you know about astrology, like, did, did you feel like you knew that it was going to be as bad as it was? Yeah, um, but, but, I, but I'm one who, I wasn't worried about it. I was eager to see what it would bring. Yeah. And there's a difference because when we worry about something, we expend energy that really is just wasteful because worry just is, it's, it's not a very functional, uh, uh activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and yeah, I first wrote about January of 2020 in an article that I wrote in October of 2001. Oh, Wow. So you were you there, really saw it coming for? <laughs> well, it wasn't it, 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 it wasn't that I'm so prescient and that I saw this coming. Right. In as much as 
when the World Trade Tower was bombed in September of 2001, um, uh, astrologers recognized that as being connected with the Saturn-Pluto opposition that was going on at that time. And, and because I'm a bit of a, my cancer moon, I like to look back. I'm a history um, a student of history for sure. I was curious as to, so what was the Saturn-Pluto um, uh, opposition and what's that cycle about? And I began to look back and I realized um, that, gee, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction of 1914 was within a few days of the beginning of World War One, and the Saturn-Pluto opposition of 1931 was within a few weeks of Hitler, Mussolini, and um, uh, and Stalin taking power in 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 Europe, and it was also the year of the um, uh, Japanese invasion of uh, China, um, and that was the opposition, and then the conjunction in 1947 was within like four days of India being granted independence. But of course, we Westerners often think, how cool is that? You know, a little bit of peaceful, you know, uh, resistance and not a shot was fired. Right. But somehow they forgot to tell us that a half a million people were killed that year or within a year or so uh, of the fighting between Pakistan and India over the resources of the uh, Kashmir Valley. Um, so it wasn't all pretty. Right. But as I began to look back further and further in history, I began to see, oh, my God, you know, Simon Bolivar kicked the Spaniards out of South America. That was the Saturn-Pluto opposition. And, oh, my God, Martin Luther, who started the Protestant Reformation, signed that proclamation um, and nailed it onto the, the wall of the church within a couple of months of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. And so I began to be totally fascinated by by the history of this conjunction that also corresponded with Mohammed declaring Mecca the state of Islam and with the Moorish invasion of Spain. And then seven centuries later, the Spaniards kicking or the Catholics kicking the Moors out of Spain. These were all connected to the same cycle. And I said, well, when's the next one? 2020. Holy crap. We're getting it wrong now. So what the hell is going to happen in 2020? You know, and so so I wrote, so that was just in a string of dates. It wasn't anything like I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Now I was, I was in Southeast Asia and, and Bali, Indonesia, and in Thailand mostly um, for about four months at the end of uh, 2019 and through February of 2020, I came back to the States just as the uh, COVID virus was, was exploding. Right. Um, but, um, I, I was on an island off the coast of Thailand on January 12th, uh, which was the day of the Saturn-Pluto conjunction mm -hmm. and the full moon eclipse a couple of days prior to that, yeah. uh, talking with people as to what could possibly happen and it'll take time to unfold and this is going to be a big one and so on. Um, but I don't think any astrologer could have quite put that together with the Jupiter conjunction of Pluto three times and the bringing out into the open all the repressed and hidden stuff, including this whole, um, you know, reviewing of uh, colonialism and the damage that it's done in the West. Yes. Other parts of the world have dealt with that. But the whole um, uh, um, racial uh, systemic racism and systemic 
gender bias and, and economic pressures and all these things all began to feed with a reaction um, from the, uh, um, the, the, let's just call it the, the fundamentalist right wing, for lack of a better yeah. word. And, and that intensity of power wanting to hold on to what it has when it sees it going and the ensuing craziness of what 2020 was that really has not quite culminated yet. I mean, it's, we're right in the culmination phase, even though the calendar says 2021, we are in a phase right now that is passing the events of 2020, right, uh, including the presidential election uh, fiasco, yeah, <clears throat> but, but passing those events into the next phase of energy uh, dynamic, which will be with us all the way through 2022. And we're seeing that actually beginning to unfold already. And what I'm talking about is the um, uh, looming uh, square, 90 degree angle squares in astrology, yeah. as I know you know, are dynamic, they're conflictive. Um, they have to do with uh, energy that is going in different directions. Right. And what we have is that <clears throat> most people um, who know astrology know that both Jupiter and Saturn um, uh, and Pluto spent uh, 2020 in Capricorn. Yeah. And then right around Christmas, we had Jupiter and Saturn move from Capricorn into Aquarius, which, where they formed a conjunction. Yeah. And that conjunction, which had been correlated with the Christmas star in the beginning of the age of Aquarius and all kinds of overinflated um, things. Right. Um, was still incredibly important. But what also happened was when those two planets stepped into Aquarius, they became on a dead-end reckoning with being exactly 90 degrees to Uranus in Taurus. Right. Um, and so a lot of this year, maybe all of the undertone of 2021, will be a study in Saturn, the status quo. Mm-hmm. Saturn holding on to structure, but still in community-minded and somewhat futuristic um, uh, Aquarius, mm -hmm. but Saturn forming a 90-degree angle with Uranus that wants to blow everything up. And I don't mean that physically. I mean yeah. it metaphysically. It wants, to, um, it wants to free the energy. Uranus is like lightning striking. Wherever there's tension, Uranus basically blasts that, brings it out into the open, um, and and uh, basically relieves releases that tension for a short amount of time, and so we have first in mid February, and then again over the summer, and then again in um, I think November, um, we have these three uh, exact squares between the old Saturn and the new Uranus, between the status quo Saturn and the future Uranus between holding it together or going back to the past conservative Saturn right. and progressive Uranus wanting to break it through it all and go into the future. And these are the battle lines that have been created from last year's stuff that we will see being played out through 2021 into 2022. Yes, definitely. And I feel like it might bring out a lot of 
fanaticism in people too, even on the far right. Cause I know, I mean, I know that when we're looking at Uranus and we're looking at Aquarius energy, we're being asked to evolve, but well, well, wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that something <laughs> needs to bring out fanaticism? I feel like this I is mean, bringing we, it out. I feel like this is, well, <laughs> but it's been, it, 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 it's, it's been out. Yes. It, 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 it's like, you know, it, it, it's like, um, you know, the gay person who has come out of the closet looking like RuPaul and saying, no, not really. I'm going away now. Yes. No, it's out. We, <laughs> we can't, we can't tuck this away. You know, it's, it's, it is out. Yeah. And I don't know that, and I didn't mean to jump on what you were saying, no, but I don't think that this will, I don't think this will bring it out. Yeah. I just think it will sit on it and focus on it. Uh, uh, and until we're tired of it. Right. No. And I think that probably is more along the lines. I think you did a better, a better job of articulating it. It is out. You're right. That's already a thing that's happening, but it's sort of like, I think it's going to rile people up even more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously people are riled up. And, and, and interestingly, I think that uh, what we are seeing is a collision course of this underlying frustration and tension and fear of what's around the corner, fear of losing our humanness to the digital, you know, artificial intelligence, whatever. We're seeing all the fears on one side bumping up against the um, progressive, and I don't mean politically progressive, but those, pe those people who are really wanting to push on into the future. And so we're seeing a collision between not only this as a political statement, but the technology that is feeding the astrology of these times right. makes the astrology of these times something very different than it ever was. I mean, you can go back to um, like major events, like like the French Revolution, which was like at the time of a um, Uranus Pluto opposition, uh -huh. and um, uh, uh, or you know, in I mean, it, pretty much any dynamic time, and you'll have people in different pockets having major experiences, but they won't know that people in other cities and other towns and other countries are also experiencing similar things. And so things happen just like as isolated events. Right. I mean, there were time periods when there was very serious astrology going on where there were back in the mm, 19th century, I'm thinking, where there were years where there was people's revolts in Rome and Berlin and Paris, and yet the people in those places really didn't know what was going on in the other places. Right, because they didn't have and, access. And, yeah. well, and not only didn't they have access, they didn't have it all videotaped or camera recorded so that everyone can see what's going on. And so what happens is, it's like being at a Grateful Dead concert where there are more amplifiers than people. And the sound that you have is very different than if you had one person playing a, gu a guitar uh, because it's purposeful feedback. And feedback is very, very important in modern music and modern rock and roll to, to reach those points where you get this threshold of intensity of over-amplification. And what we've seen is that as these major aspects are hitting, they're also hitting in a technology where we can capture that energy and continually feed it back onto ourselves via newscasts of how many times are we going to see the same event again and again and again, 
And then two months later, when that transit is tickled again, boom, out comes the meme. We see it again and again and again. And so what happens is that we live in a world where we're getting um, this kind of um, um, kind of a uh, feedback loop to these significant astrology transits that are making the transits different than they were prior to the technology. Right. Huh. How, how do you, as someone who has been sort of like, a, you know, has studied humans in a lot of ways and studied human behavior and done it from this sort of like metaphysical perspective, how do you, what is your opinion about how technology has changed the way that our minds work and the way that we relate to one, one another? Oh, uh, huge in every way. Uh, I am a, um, a dedicated student um, um, of Marshall McLuhan's. Does that name mean anything to you, Marshall McLuhan? No. Have you ever heard the term, the medium is the message? Mm-mm. Or, or ever heard the, the concept of uh, the, the global village? No. You know? <laughs> I, feel, All right, I so, feel so ashamed right now. No, no, this, 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 is, this is me being geeky. I like well, Marshall, Mc, Marshall McLuhan was a media guru um, in the late 60s um, and on. <clears throat> he was an academic. He was a university uh, literature teacher at McGill um, University in Montreal. And, um, and he wrote a series of books that were based on the idea um, that, uh, that technology actually alters the sense ratios of the people that are using the technology. And his first breakthrough book was a book called The Gutenberg Galaxy. And it was about the invention of the printing press right. and how the, the, the printed word or the written word then mechanized by the printing press, how it shifted us from being what he called tribal man, meaning that we used all of our senses in an integrated manner to being a visual creature where seeing is believing because when we read something, that's the way we get our information primarily. Now that has changed over the past 50 years, but we'll get to that in just a second. And so McLuhan noted that when the printing press came out, all of a sudden in art, we, we began to have perspective. We had the rise of ideologies and nation states rather than just royalty. And all of this has to do with point of view, perspective, and a detachment from nature that we call the age of enlightenment, but it was also kind of like uh, um, nature became, um, what's the right word, de-emphasized. The concept of nature being alive became lost to the idea that uh, human consciousness had to tame and rule nature. And all of this, he said, was not a result of what we were reading. It was a result of that we were reading. Right. And so his, uh, so a later one of his books was entitled The Medium is the Message, but actually that's the way people read it and remember it. The real title of the book was The Medium is the Massage, <laughs> which means that, which means that, watching TV is different than reading a book and that the TV generation or the people listening to radio as each of these generations came into being, their sensory organs worked in a different ratio than the ones prior. And that McLuhan talked about how in the 60s, the revolution that was the 
flower child, the hippies, the student revolutions, that this was all a return to the tribalism based upon um, television um, overtaking the power of the printed word. And so um, the, a, a basic concept of McLuhanistic thinking is that we create technology and then technology recreates us. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, um, and so with the computer, we've actually externalized the functions of the brain and we live inside of what McLuhan called an exonervous system. It's like a crab has an exoskeleton. Its skeleton is on the outside. Well, our nervous system is now the World Wide Web or is the buzz of electricity that captures and cases the earth. And so it's like as a species, we have this exonervous system, which means that, and this is actually a McLuhan term, which means is that technically we've flipped out. And, right. and, he, and he was a language master. And so he coined that term of you know, be, being flipped out is actually having your nervous system on the outside. Yeah. And, um, and so the problem where we are right now is that we've flipped out. But the main difference between neurosis and psychosis is that with neurosis, you can, if not cure it, you can manage it through talk therapy. Right. You can retell the truth, you know, from what your lie was that you constantly have to repeat some behavior because it's built on something not correct. And in, with a neurosis, you can actually manage it or actually cure it. However, with a psychosis, you can't get, the, the truth doesn't matter. Right. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up is that, um, is that because of the technology that has recreated us into something different, we have, as a species, flipped out we have an exonervous system and it is psychotic, not neurotic. Yeah. We have people with different points of view that all the talking in the world will not resolve the points of view. People have actually different experiences that they will defend to their death. Right. Which like, is fright, frightening. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I, and <clears throat> even outside of that too, I, I, I get exactly what you're saying, but even outside of that too, if we're looking at, you know, when you're saying we have like an exo nervous system, I, I see all the time people who just aren't grounded, aren't in their bodies. And, and it's like they, they create psychic ties to the internet. So even when they're not looking oh, at yeah. their phone, there's like some sort of psychic connection where their consciousness is like writing, writing on the, the invisible internet waves that are around us all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Agreed. What do you? So yeah, technology you, incredibly important, and yes, we've we've changed, and we are still changing faster than we ever have. This is, I mean, the hundred years of maybe the mid '60s to the let's say 2060s will be looked at as perhaps the you know greatest cataclysmic change in the species of humanity that we've seen. I think that's especially true when we're looking at. You know, I'm I'm probably in the last generation of teenagers who didn't have social media and didn't like not everyone had a cell phone and the technology was not what it is today. So when we're looking at when what year what what year were you born? Eighty seven. Got it. So it wasn't you know we still had dial up when I was <laughs> on the internet. So going outside was still a thing. And I'm looking at kids who start you know start off with their cell phones when they're twelve and so much of their 
so much of their confidence is wrapped up in whether or not they're cyber bullied. And we look at little girls who are editing photos of themselves. And it really does make me wonder what kind, you know, what we're sort of doing to society and what's happening with people. And it will be just very different. Yep. What do you do to protect, yep. what do you do to protect yourself from sort of like the, having the exos, the, having the exoskeleton nervous system, the exo nervous system? Oh, oh I wear a body condom. <laughs> Perfect. Can you, draw, can you, you know, just let me know where you got yours from and I can. <laughs> no, I think, I, I think, I, I think that that was far enough already. Um <laughs> Well, uh, I mean, for me personally, I, um, I, I, I walk, I get out in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a photographer, so I spend a lot of time looking at things. I mean, I, um, I've had the privilege up until a year ago um, of traveling. I've not traveled since I got back from uh, Bali, what, yeah. the end of February. Um, you know, but, um, uh, you know, in the past few years, I've been to... You know, I've been to and I've taught in, she's, you know, uh, Indonesia, India. Um, I've been to Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, uh, Turkey, uh, France, England, uh, Norway, um, Serbia, you know. And so moving around in the outer world, Costa Rica, Mexico, moving around in the outer world um, is, is a um, remedy to moving around in the inner world. I spend a lot of time online, um, but I also, um, you know, like my time, well, either with other people or doing things like, you know, like cooking and eating, both of which put you in a body, take you out of the, you know, cyber realm. Um, You know, I really think that, that part of the remedy to so much mental activity and energy is uh, is physical is whatever that means. I, you know, I have a personal trainer, and even through the epi- through the pandemic, um, I've worked with him a couple times a week outside. You know, there's a river behind my house, and and so um, you know, it's important to maintain the physicalness. That's the Aries part of me, also. I would yeah. imagine, or to some extent, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I'm. I know we touched on it a little bit, but I'm sort of curious what you think we sort of have in store for us for 2022 or sorry, 2021. <laughs> I skipped a year. I'm just ready for it to be over. <laughs> I'm wondering what you think, you know, we have to look forward to this year. Yeah. I'm still waiting. <clears throat> sorry. That's okay. I'm still, I'm still waiting for March of 2020 to be over. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I think, I, I mean, I, I think that there's lots of nuance to what will be happening uh, the year ahead. But I think that sometimes we waste energy trying to paint too much nuance onto it. Yeah. Um, I think the most important thing about 2021 and 2022 is that the the Capricorn cluster um, is, has, has dissipated. Right. That in Capricorn, we're looking at structure, hierarchy, we're looking at status quo, um, and that with the planets moving into Aquarius and squaring Uranus and Taurus, see Uranus and Uranus is, is, is the planet, I always say that Uranus's only job is the instantaneous resolution of irresolvable opposites. 
the instantaneous resolution of irresolvable opposites, like lightning strikes. And in an instant, it takes the, the electrical charge that had no way of resolving. And in one instant, kapow, it's, it's the charge is flattened. Yeah. And so Uranus, um, as it was moving for the last, you know, 20 years or you know, 15 years or so through Pisces and Aries, um, Uranus was moving along and it was, and even before that in Aquarius, um, Uranus, the planet of lightning and change was free to move. You know, it, 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 it could respond minute by minute. Mm-hmm. But when, Aries, when, when Uranus moved into Taurus, Taurus doesn't like change. Right. You know, th- think, think of, of Taurus as, as a mountain, you know, as granite. Um, Taurus, Taurus is, is, is stability. Yeah. Taurus is, is density. And I don't mean density as in stupidity. I mean density as a lot of mass in a small amount of place. And therefore, it's difficult to change. Taurus is, is about inertia. If something isn't moving, it ain't going to move. Right. And if something is moving, you ain't going to stop it. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so Uranus, which has to do with sudden change, has a harder time gaining traction in Taurus because the changes don't occur on a regular basis. What happens is that the pressure for change builds and Uranus doesn't move, doesn't move, doesn't move because it's in Taurus, which doesn't want to change. It's stubborn. It's obstinate. You know, it's, it, it is determined to hold on to what it has. And then income squares income squares from Jupiter and, and from Saturn and they, and, and Uranus and Saturn are like, uh, Uranus is like an irresistible force that needs to be expressed. And Saturn is like an immovable object. Right. So what happens when you take this, Im- this, this irrepressible force that is building to a proportion to make earthquakes? And I don't mean that physically. I maybe should say life quakes. Yeah. Because, because if, if the earth could move day by day to every stress, we would never have a quake. Right. You know, and there are people who live in active areas that when there are small earthquakes, they're appreciative of that. Because as long as, just like in life, as long as we don't let anger build up, as long as when something happens, we tell our partner, our lover, our spouse, our bo- and we work it out, that is healthy. The one that's not healthy is the one that doesn't talk about it, doesn't talk about it, doesn't talk about it, and then goes postal, you right. know, and then does crazy, sh- then does crazy shit like, <laughs> like, like, like taking over the White House or yes. whatever. Yes. Yes. And so from that standpoint, the only thing we need to know at this point in time about 2021 is the conflict between Saturn and Uranus. And we will see this play out again and again and again, um, nuanced in different ways by different scenarios and different events. Um, But that will be the main theme of the year will be this conflict um, between the old and the new. And the thing is that um, that even if there are restraints and there are strong, I mean, remember you can look at the Protestant Reformation, which I like to explain to people is not the Protestant Reformation; it was the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. 
kind of puts a different spin on the whole thing. Yeah. You know, that, that, that the protests of, um, of Martin Luther um, basically were the initial cracks in the wall of absolute authority of Rome. Right. Of the church. And so that Protestant reforming, reformation, reforming of everything, if you were alive during that period of time, 1518, 1519, when that began to unfold, you would have no idea of what would be happening in the following 100 or 200, you know, 300, 400 years. There was just no way that you could see it. It was just right. like a little splinter group pulling away from the church rather than taking the power and you know, the massive power away. Yeah. And by the, and by the same token, we have that going on right now. Um, and there is no way to stop the inevitability of this change, but there is a way to hold it back for, um, you know, a year, five years, a hundred years. Remember the battle between the Protestant reformers, uh, the Protestant reformation and the church that went on for a couple of hundred years. There was, um, there was the Reformation, and then there was the Counter-Reformation, and there was the Hundred Years' War. I mean, these things we forget about, but these are things that went on and on. And so history may show that the Civil War in the United States, um, you know, the war you know, against slavery, is still being fought. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, true. And, 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 and so... It's hard to get perspective when you're in the middle of something, yeah. and it's hard to think that you're in the middle of something when it's 100 years old, when the fact of the matter is that historically 100 years is just a blink of an eye. Yeah. So, um, so anyhow, that's the short version of my next year is, is all about Saturn and Pluto, and granted there are, I'm sorry, Saturn and Uranus. Yeah. And granted there are other things that will occur. There's important transits throughout the year, there's Jupiter, which whizzes through Aquarius and moves into Pisces by May, I think, uh, early summer, late, mm -hmm. late spring, early summer. Um, and that'll be pushing us forward. Um, there's, uh, but, but the loudest singular event of the year has to do with the shift right. from, uh, from retrovisionary um, Capricorn, looking backwards, rearview mirror, uh, to progressive, forward-looking, avant-garde Aquarius. That's the big change. Yeah, I'm here for it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, well I, and, many, and many of us are, but yeah. the frightening thing is that there are many people who are not. Well, and that so, is it, and, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yep. yeah. I know, it's, yeah. I, <laughs> that's a whole show. You could do a whole show on just that. <laughs> um. I'm just like, I've just had such a good time talking to you. You're so smart. You have so much information to offer. And I really appreciate you taking the time to do this interview. I, I definitely at some point would love to have you on again. But in the meantime, if people want to find you online, how should they do that? Uh, it's almost harder to not find me online. <laughs> um um, obviously on YouTube, best way to find me is Rick Le is just do a YouTube search for Rick Levine astrologer. Uh, Rick Levine astrologer does it pretty much everywhere. Um, but I do a, a free monthly YouTube that typically gets, Oh, I don't know, between maybe 60 and 90,000 views a month. Yeah. Um, and, but that's just a little tip of the iceberg of what I do on YouTube because I have, 
um, um, uh, uh, over a thousand people who are subscribers on Patreon who get unlisted YouTube updates on a regular basis. And you can find out more about that by going to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Rick Levine. And I have a daily blurb <clears throat> that's less of a daily horoscope, although it's always astrologically based. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's called the Daily Planet Pulse. And you can find that on Instagram. And again, I hate to be boring, it's Rick Levine Astrologer. So Rick Levine Astrologer on Instagram. Um, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash, what a surprise, Rick <laughs> Levine Astrologer. Um, and the dailies are on both of those places. And those are probably the best places to find me. Yeah, I definitely recommend checking them out. Obviously, for everyone who's listening, you can tell the wealth of knowledge is, it's it's there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, again. I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't want to cut you off. No, I'm no, I going to cut you off to say thank you for, you know, this, this opportunity to reach some of your uh, audience, which is probably very different or at least largely different than, than my regular audience. So I appreciate that. And um, I'd be happy to come back anytime you'd like. Just give me a shout. I'll make time for it. I definitely will.